0: Welcome back to Dirt Talk. I'm your host, Aaron Witt, and I'm very excited today because we have a guest. Unlike some of the past episodes, hopefully not everyone is, uh, hopefully everyone's not too sick of me talking, and if you are, I got good news because I won't be the one talking today. Instead of me, we have Mr. Ryan Neal, who's the Regional Product Application Specialist at Caterpillar. How you doing, Ryan?
1: I'm good, sir. I'm good. You?
0: I'm just peachy today, man. Perfect. Just just trying to drink from that fire hose like always.
1: (laughs) Aren't we all? Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I was asking you your title, and you said it's Regional Product Application Specialist. So, can you put that into layman terms for us? Can you explain what the heck you even do?
1: Sure, that's a fancy acronym there. So, um, so I'm a Regional Product Application Specialist for excavators for uh, technically North America. I cover all of the United States and Canada. For for Caterpillar, for our 336 all the way up to our brand new 395. So our large excavator series. Spend a lot of time with our medium and small with my counterparts. But So we do numerous things. We do uh, help write marketing material. We write competitive analysis for our dealers. We write some value estimating templates for our dealers to use to sell against competition. We do competitive studies. We train, so every year we do training for uh, all of our North American sales teams from all the dealerships around the United States and Canada. Uh, I do specific training for them several times a year, so we touch base probably three or 4,000 sales in a year, I would say, easy. And then we're kind of the liaison, we would say, between the dealer and the actual product group within Caterpillar. So we take uh, the information given to us from the dealership and we spread the word my gospel, and then we take feedback from customers and dealers and give that back to the product group for them to hopefully to build a better product, among and, a bunch of other little things. So that's uh, the nuts and bolts of it.
0: Yeah, you got, you, there's, there's a lot of irons in the fire, and, and Ryan's a very humble guy. I've known Ryan for a little bit now. He he knows everything about the Caterpillar excavators there is to know. So if you ever have an, a Caterpillar excavator question or an excavator question, Ryan's probably the guy to uh, talk to since he's run run them all.
1: Well, only the good comments, not the bad ones.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> so how how did you end up at Caterpillar? Because I knew you. I know you were you know from the industry before, and I know that's an important piece your your past experience as far as what you do now. Uh, so how did you get to Cat?
1: Yeah. So, um, like you mentioned, I was an operator. I fed my family, um, running machines, running equipment uh, here in Central Illinois. I started young in high school, helping my cousin uh graduated high school started college still worked for him during that process I really liked what I was doing I, I kind of had a knack for the construction side I enjoyed it and then he decided later on that uh he wanted to go union we were non-unions very small contractor but we did a little bit of everything and so we went union to start kind of subcontracting for other large contractors to get different into different work and he encouraged me to stay in school so I was trying to do stay in school and do the construction thing and Started making good money. I really enjoyed it. And long story short, I dropped out of school and then just stayed full-time construction as an operator. Before we were union, I was a laborer, poured concrete. You know, I was the bottom guy in the ditch to, we dug graves to tore down houses to poured concrete, you know, sewer lines, septic systems, all kinds of things. Jumped into the bigger company uh, where pretty much just did a lot of subdivision work, road work, interstate work, things like that the general construction work here in, in central illinois and i did that for quite a few years and my dad owned his own company and he was uh, a graphic illustration design and he worked for some of the large corporations here in illinois were uh, like state farm and caterpillar and john deere some of his big clients well he was working for doing some work for caterpillar and he had come out to the Edwards demonstration learning center and I knew nothing about it. I'd never heard of it. I'd heard of the proving grounds where they do all the testing, but I had not heard of the training center. And he came back I was like, "Man, this place is cool. You should see it someday." So uh, I actually got a rain day months later, and he arranged it that I was able to come out here and, and meet with a couple guys. And pretty much amazed when you're not used to seeing D11s and triple sevens and this large equipment. It's kind of like crazy eye candy in this giant sandbox. So. I, I asked folks around, you know, how, how, what do you got to do to get a job around here? And they said, well, you need to be working in history for 10 years. And so I had, I met some of those qualifications, so I filled out an application. And it was like eight months later, uh, they had an opening and asked if I'd like to come interview, and I did. And then, uh, long story short, I got the job as a, they call him a demonstrator instructor here at the Edwards Demonstration Center. And you pretty much do operator training, demos for customers. The dealers bring their customers in to look at the iron. You you help them run it. We traveled all over the world doing operator training and quarries and mines and construction sites. And then uh, I, I kind of had a knack for the technology thing and excavators. I spent a lot of time doing that here. And uh, I ended up wanting to do what I'm doing currently today. It was kind of a, my dream job to be a, a product specialist for excavators. I spent my last six, seven years pretty much in excavators doing sewer and water work for a larger contractor here in town and i really just enjoyed it i felt good doing it so it was my dream job i applied for it i got it and here i am today about four and a half years later it, it's a vast different job but i absolutely love it you know i enjoy getting to see customers and be around uh, salesmen, and you know it's it's interesting where i get to because of my background of actually working and doing this for a living i can i can relate to them and, and talk the talk with them and walk the walk with them and uh, uh, that seems to relate well.
0: So yeah. And I guess that's,
1: that's, that's pretty much it in a,
0: in a, in a nutshell. Huh? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. When you became a dealer, a, a demonstrator instructor, not dealer instructor at Edwards, it's a, um, you have to be really, I've, I've talked to those guys. They're great, 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 great guys there. And you have to not only be a really, really talented, proficient operator. Cause I know that's part of the interview quote unquote, but a big piece of the interview is just personality and being able to talk with people. How, how was the transition from going uh, from an operator, you know, you're in a machine every day, you're just doing your job to actually teaching people how to do what you do. How, how was that transition?
1: It is a very unique transition. Yeah. Um, you know, going from the construction world, getting paid hourly, you know, the, the, the weather here in Illinois depends how much money you make. I mean, quite honestly, and then you come to a, a corporate company where, you know, it's very different. Um, it, it is a, the, the, the demo operators around Caterpillar, whether it's in Malaga, Spain or Tanaha, Arizona or, or here, you know, they're, they're fantastic. And I, I will speak highly of, and I always will, you got to be kind of a unicorn. So you have to be a good operator. You have to have a personality, be willing to stand up in front of people and talk, because quite frankly, there are hands down better operators than these guys here and myself included yep. uh, that, that are just phenomenal operators. But, you ask them to stand up in front of fifty people and talk; they're going to throw up. Yep. And it's not meant for everybody. You have to be willing to travel. You have to be able to pick up computer skills. You've got to be willing to change. It is a completely different world from pulling levers every day to a living to come in here and doing training and being in meetings. And now, granted, to me, it's been the from January of two thousand seven when I started here to today. I've thoroughly enjoyed my job. So it, I pinch myself all the time getting to do what I get to do, but. You you have to have a unique skill set, and there's no doubt about. it. Like I said, there there are phenomenal operators out there, better than we are. But it, there's a whole bunch that you have to bring along uh, in order to to do this job and do it successfully. And yeah. It's not meant for everybody. There there are people that come and go because it is it is very different than what they thought they were going to do. So yeah, not and it, meant for everybody.
0: Like at face value, it looks like a, a just a total dream job because you're like, man, you know, I work for Caterpillar and get to you know play with all the the newest equipment at Edwards is a beautiful facility and this and that, but it's, it's, there's a lot to it. And I've talked to guys that I've interviewed and, and there's some of those people that I think we, we know them, we know them mutually. Like they're, they're just remarkable operators. And yet when it comes to talking to people, they, they're either not, you know, public speakers or they just don't have the patience for it. Like, they're just like, no, I just want to be in a damn machine. Like, I don't, I don't want to have the patience to talk to some guy about how, what, you know, what lover does what I don't, I don't want to do this. It's a really yeah odd skill set, but um, it, it is to, to plug it too, they're always looking for people, aren't they? The right people? Oh, constantly.
1: Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're they're always, in fact, uh, last year, I think it was last year, they had auditions. They sent out via social media blast. They come audition basically, and they had, I think, 25 people from all over North America come and uh, audition, and so they picked some good guys out of it. So it works, but you are right. There have been many people come interview, and, they're really good operators or, or they say they're better than they are and they show up or they could be nerves, but yeah. Uh, sometimes they can't they can't get the blade on the ground. Yep. But that's me. Fantastic people. And you know, we, you're right. We have talked socially, you and I both with some of these people and you know, they admitted it's not for them. They think it's a cool place, but just not not their crap. So what did you it is a unique place.
0: What did you like about teaching? What did you enjoy about that over uh, just operating?
1: So Well, one thing, you know, when I learned, it's like when you come here, it's like drinking from a fire hose. You're learning industries and applications you never worked in before, so it's like overload. And then once you start to grasp it and get it and travel around the country and see people do things differently in other territories, not people move dirt differently in Central Illinois than they do in California that they do in the East Coast, you know, And, and Texas. It's completely different, but whatever works for them, you kind of try to adapt to that, and it makes you a better operator, honestly, seeing those different tips and techniques, but. One of the best things that I, I always enjoyed was you go do operative training. Say you go out to Pennsylvania, you know, or anywhere, and you're going to do 992 wheel loader training. And you got this guy that's old, a little crusty, but very good. And he's been doing it for a long time. And you have this young, at the time I was 30, and they look at you, and you know, like, what are you going to teach me, boy? <laughs> you know, and you, you literally get that. And you're just like, you know, be patient. You know, if we can pick up one little trick out of the things, because, what we've been trained is what Caterpillar has been built the machines to do, you know, so. run it this way, use it this way. That's the way it's intended to be run. And the best time was when at the end of the training session, that old crusty guy had come up to me and say, you know, I didn't know that. And that, was, that really is going to make a big difference. Well, there's one little thing. It made that entire week of training absolutely worth it. And, and that's just all we ever ask. You know, I learned something every time I went on somebody's customer site to do training and, and hopefully they learned something from me and, that's the that's rewarding thing.
0: Do you, is there a particular site or customer that you just have always thought about? Like, man, that was just a, that was an interesting one or, or that was a fun one. Or if, if, you know, when you think of that, what comes to mind?
1: There's some great ones. You know, some of them were down in Florida. We were doing excavator training and, it, and technology was really new on, on excavator. Just basic 2D depth and slope stuff. And this customer was putting in, they were fairly deep, and they were putting in like 12 feet deep uh, storm sewer. And you're like, they got a hub right next to them. It's like a perfect scenario for this situation. Put your bucket on the hub, put your cut in, dig down. And it's, they do it the typical way that I've always seen it. With the guy paints a dot on the into of his shovel, and he's checking with the laser in the bottom of the ditch. You're never going to get rid of the pipe laser, but yep. it really helps the guy. So yeah. the guy's down there doing his typical thing, you know, keep poking at, you know, three or four times for the guy to get great initially – using the same technique, and we're like, okay, give us five minutes, and let's talk through this. And we went through it, operator did it, it was indicate-only, they didn't even have automatics at this time, and he reaches down there, he's trusting the system works, he's listening to the sound and watching the light bars, and he pulls grade one time, and as opposed to doing three or four, what he was doing before, and the guy went through with his upside-down shovel, and he was spot-on, and they all looked at each other like, holy cow. I didn't expect that. And those aha moments are, are some of the best ones where if they trust you and, and you know, if they'll give you the time and they're willing to try it more than likely they're going to like it. So that was one that I specifically remember where it was really rewarding that they took the time to listen to us. And then, you know, you see them all look at each other like, gosh, this is a game changer. Really?
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you're only there to, you know, help make them better at what they do. And it's, it's funny Uh, that you say, you know, it's everyone moves dirt differently and does everything different across the United States. Cause I've seen that too. It's very noticeable. And it's, it's funny uh, because sometimes it's, it's for good reason, you know, soil conditions or whatever it may be. And then sometimes it's just, it's regional for no real reason, but it's just like, well, now we just kind of do it this way, or we just use this bucket or uh, we just use this track loader. I mean, track loaders are amazing. And then you go to another part of the country and wow, track loaders are the stupidest thing in the world. Why would you ever yeah, put tracks a in a track loader? loader? Yeah, yeah. What what the hell even is that? Yeah. It's it, It's funny seeing the, the different ways people do the same thing.
1: Yeah, it is amazing, Joe. You, I like to give make fun of one of our good friends, Britton Lawson up there for, like, you know, technology sandbox guy. And they use those big sand cans up there. And, like, there's one of the few territories that use them, but they swear by them and they absolutely love them. And they're everywhere you've been up yep. there. And you're just like, whatever works, man. And, and they, they swear by them and love them. And you think of the, you got out West and where you just came from, how often do you see a skip loader around here? You oh, know, in, yeah. in yeah. Illinois or anywhere in the East Coast, you know, it's, you don't see those little tractors with the boxes behind them. It's just, no. everybody just skid here. So it's, yep. it's been really interesting to travel all over and see that kind of stuff. It, it makes for good conversation. And again, you learn, you learn a ton.
0: We'll be actually visiting Vite in uh, two weeks. Really excited. Yeah. We were on the phone with their whole executive team this morning. So that's going to be fun. What, um, people travel travel has been a big part of your job, um, when you were an instructor and today, how, how's that been? Because travel, I, I travel a lot and it's, it takes a toll. So how have you been able to manage that?
1: Yeah. So you're right. It, it can take a toll. I personally enjoy it. I'm from a town of 1200 people, uh, Central Illinois farm town, grew up on a farm, and to think of the places that I've been able to go around the world, uh, I just I pinch myself often. It just kind of mind blowing, and so I enjoy that part. I've got three boys, and you know I've been at cat quite a while now, so they're they're accustomed to it and used to it. But you know it does t- it takes its toll. You know sometimes beginning of the year we're gone literally six weeks in a row, sometimes seven.
0: Yeah,
1: and and that gets hard. You try to come home on the weekends if you can, but you know, you just learn to deal with it and your family learns to deal with it. And, you know, it, it puts food on the table. So <laughs> sometimes you bear with it. But, you know, the, the thing that I've walked across the Great Wall of China, you know, and I've been to all over places in India and South America and Europe and Japan, you know, China. It's just, it's really cool to see those things. It's, they're really neat experiences for me, something I, I don't take for granted.
0: If someone's kind of traveling and, and learning to balance that, you know, travel with being away from home and and you know, bringing your kids along with what you do. I mean, what kind of, do you have any advice or lessons there, you know, as far as trying to remain connected with everyone back home while you're maybe halfway around the world? Yeah.
1: So, you know, everybody seems to do it different. It doesn't always work out for everybody. Yeah. Your family, certainly and your spouse, if you have one, they need to understand it and they need to hopefully respect it. And again, it's not for everybody because we get some people into this job and they're like, uh, uh-uh, this this travel thing. I, mean, I ain't doing it. They quit and they go back to their daily job of moving dirt and, you know, and I understand that it is not for everybody. And again, everybody has to be on the same page when you travel for a living, because it gets hard, you know, it's guaranteed that when dad's gone, you're out traveling and something happens. Some pump goes out, you know, guaranteed that something silly is going to happen while you're out and about. So yeah. you just have to have good network of friends and family that are there to help out and yeah, just be patient. You know, if it's something you enjoy to do and your family's willing to allow you to do it, it's a great experience. But again, it's not for everybody.
0: Had you traveled internationally before you went to Caterpillar?
1: No. Wow. No, How about yeah, that? Yeah, I had been to Florida on a plane once. Wow. That was it.
0: Yep. Yeah. And yeah, you've and been I,
1: all over the place. Yeah, yeah. My first trip was uh, about a year in. I went to Sweden for while. Wow. 319d machine evaluation and yeah it was it was pretty mind-blowing my goodness after that it it went crazy
0: yeah can we talk about when you can we talk about the the before we get to what you do day-to-day now can we talk about the built for it trials and and those that series because you you went all over the place for that one what was what was that like and and there was even wasn't there a world record involved too that you were involved in
1: yeah, two of them. Honestly, we yeah. were involved with two. So, yeah. So back in 2013 when we started it, and I think we launched them in 2014. Um, you understand marketing? And, you know, you, I, I'm sure you understand it. We had people like, "What are you guys doing? Why are you thinking this?" And the point of is to sell the brand, right? And you know, how do you? We make tractors at what we do, but how do you make your brand recognizable? Everyone knows what the Stinky Switch logo is. You know, don't, no matter where you're at, you know what it is. And they know that because they're great at branding and you know, we're trying to do the same thing. So when we come up with these built for it trials, they come up and they're like, we want to build this big game of Jenga <laughs> with these giant blocks. And we're going to use excavators and, and telehandlers and forklifts. And you're thinking what on earth are you guys smoking? And, you know, you just as the pieces of the puzzle start to come together and it comes to fruition, you're like, that's pretty cool. And I'll flat out tell you that, three months or so that we were doing those. Uh, it was some of the best times at the Caterpillar one we We worked a lot of hours together. You learn how to work around a film crew and work late hours, long hours cut around a film. You know, you learn a lot, but the exposure that it got, not just us personally, but the company, it was, it was, I think it far exceeded what we ever thought it was going to do. So yeah. So the Jenga ended up being a world record biggest set of Jenga ever played. Hmm. And then the second one, the first one that we actually got was, we went down to Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, and we built the world's tallest sand castle, which was not a terrible trip to be on for two and a half weeks in Rio building the sand castle. It was okay. It was yeah. Tolerable. Yeah.
0: On the on, yeah on the beach in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, that's not um, that's not too bad, and that's not your average uh, corporate corporate gig, that's for sure.
1: No, no, it wasn't too bad, and. Then we did. Uh, we had some individual ones. I did the the China Shop one, where we took a little mini excavator through the China store with all the glassware and plates and whatnot. Uh, that was fun. And then uh, we did one with a phone. We drove over some phones and dropped the phone in a pond. And then I went over. We did some outside of the states. Uh, they weren't really necessary for the United States. Uh, they did some in India and China and Iceland. But I went over to India kind of as a safety steward because I knew what we could film and what we couldn't film far as operators and safety procedures so that flat honestly was this it was the second time i had been to india and it was the best trip i've ever been on hands down my entire life it was really rewarding it was an amazing place and you know to see that how the video turned out they're, they're all pretty cool they didn't quite get the exposure of the things over here did but for me personally and meaningful it, it was it was amazing over there
0: why was india so nice Well, you know, we're
1: very fortunate here in the United States. And, you know, I live in a little country. I live in Peoria, Illinois. You know, life's pretty normal. And life's pretty easy for the most part. And you get over there and it's a whole different world. Sitting in a village with no running water. You know, there's no, literally no toilets anywhere. There's there's nothing. And one of the projects we did was we took natural stone out of this quarry that was just a mile down the road. They carried it in on this wagon with mules and they dumped the stone, and they hand-built this public restroom, and uh, the only thing that really was manufactured that came for it was they took a large storm sewer section and turned it upright, and that was kind of the, the filtering system, and then they built it by hand right there in front of us, mixed the mortar by hand in the street with bags of cement and sand and used old garden hose to uh, mix it by hand, and then they they did everything by hand. It was just it was so humbling and for them to see we, you know, we had drones there and camera crews and people, these people had never seen anything like that, let alone probably a bald white American in the middle of their city or their little town for that matter of fact. Uh, yeah, it was really humbling. Very great people. The food was amazing. I had a, one of the directors, uh, he was Indian, but uh, he had lived in Boston for nine years and I had been to India before, but it was in Goa, which is a little more populated and a little more cultural. And so, a little nervous about eating and I'm not scared to eat whatever, but he just said, I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll tell you to eat it or not eat it. And he didn't steer me wrong one way. And it was some of the best food I've ever eaten in my entire life. And it was just one of the most humbling and neat experiences that yeah, I'll just never forget
0: it for sure. It is, um, and beautiful. Yeah. Tra- traveling internationally. I think that is the, I think there's two really quick ways to humble yourself. One travel internationally Two. Go to a national park and go look at a big mountain or something, and it'll make yep. you feel real small real quick. But it cracks me up when people are like, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to get the hell out of this country. You The United States just sucks. And it's like, well, you clearly have never traveled internationally before, because I don't think you understand how good we have it here. It's, it's, life is really, really comfortable here. And uh, most everyone's back, not so fortunate. Plus. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's pretty cool i mean I, I i've I've made it a life rule to get outside of the country once a year for the rest of my life obviously uh this year that went out the window because Americans are not welcome anywhere these days but right. hopefully twenty twenty one will be my uh be my year um, yeah. so can you can you explain how a new excavator comes to be so how does it go from? Okay, you know we have this next generation, or you know we have this F model, for example. We have this and it, it's worked out great, but we need to do a, a new one, and we're going to go draw it up on paper and identify the problems, and go create a new product and test it out. How, basically speaking, like how does the process of creating a new machine even work?
1: Well, it's interesting, and, and that was what I was really excited about come kind of to this job, coming from doing the operator training and you know being a large part of the corporation and helping with equipment get better, but coming in with my background of being an operator and knowing what customers do and how they use them, that's valuable information. And we gather that same information from people all over the world. And we call that voice of customer. And so part of my job today is to gather that information. Hey, what don't you like about the next generation excavator? And we, we've got the system and we put it in, and we populate it, and we we're constantly looking at it. And so it starts years ago, especially with just our, our new next generation excavator. It started years ago and developing, are we gonna go state pilot, we're we gonna go electronic or hydraulic? What kind of technologies are we gonna do? How can we uh, try to make it one of the best machines in the industry?
0: Yep.
1: And so they start with, with a thought and then they start with a process and they start putting it down on paper and you know then you gotta talk about budgets and, you know, what can we put on this machine that we you know we don't drive cost and so on and so forth. And you come up with an idea and you come up with a drawing. And then that starts to come to fruition and they, they build some pilot machines we call them and phase ones where they're pretty rough looking or they look like an F series but the guts of it inside are completely different hmm. and you just start testing and part of my job even before I took this job and I didn't even know it at the time when, when I was still at Edwards I was traveling to Japan to do machine evaluations and I was starting to test for electronic or hydraulic, didn't know it. Huh. and. It, yeah it was crazy because I, I they just kept me kept doing these things back and forth back and forth and what i thought was the same machine and as, at the end of the two days i'm like what are we doing here and i knew i was doing something but i wasn't sure because they didn't want me to know and they said well that machine over there is electronic over hydraulic and this one over here is not and i gave them a high five because they did a good job so it kind of starts like that and then the engineers are wicked smart people and they start putting the puzzles together and the pieces together and then they come up with a machine and Years down the road with uh, some trial and error, we do field follow where our machines go out early and customers run them and put hours on them. And they don't try to break them, but they run them like they normally do. Yep. And that, that's where we find our faults and our issues. And, and hopefully they come out and we get them taken care of before they're actually launched. And then this is a long process. And here we are, uh, 2017, we launched our first next generation excavators with the 320 and 323.
0: And it's, I mean, there's probably, what, thousands of people involved in this process, right? It's it's a huge undertaking.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing when you think of how many people are involved in our excavation division. You know, it starts within our marketing, or, or part of it, because we were gathering the information, sending it back to the excavation division. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a huge part of the company that is involved with, with creating new machines, whether it's a D6, XE or whether it's you know a next generation excavator it is a very thought out very process calculated situation and it's a lot of fun to be part of because I jumped into this role right as you know two years before we launched the next gen but it was just starting for me so I was in at the very beginning where before the first machines were built and being able to be part of that so it's kind of like watching your little kids be born you know it's been exciting you know you you sit and you wait and you wait and you wait, you know what's coming and you know, you can't talk about it. You can't show anybody. (laughs) And then when it finally gets released, you know, you're you're pretty excited about it. So it's it's been exciting uh, a few years for myself and my counterpart, Brian.
0: Yeah. You guys and your um, corporate secrecy. So, so you, so you test a (laughs) machine, you're testing a machine, for example, it's a, it's a newer machine. And how do you determine if that machine is good? Like you're like, yep, this is, this is it. Uh, How do you, how do you know that, yeah, we should probably put this into production and send out field follows, and how do you determine that it's where it needs to be?
1: Well, we do a series of evaluations before they even go to field follow. So uh, we'll use um, some of our operators in Japan, some of our operators in Spain, and here in North America, and we run it through its courses. We, we put it through the paces before it goes on field follow to make sure that you know it's rugged, durable, that you know it's going to hold together, and we, we run them like our customers would as best as we can. Altitude and temperature and cold and hot, you know, muddy conditions, you know, they, they've they got labs where they just run and run and run and run in simulations. And it's amazing how much goes into one machine. Yeah. The thought of just one.
0: The amazing thing too is like you're, you have a big say in how these machines end up at the end of the day. I mean, you're, yeah, there's thousands of people involved, but, you know, you're one of uh, arguably one of the decision makers along the way because you're the one, you know, testing the machine and giving them the feedback and and really making sure it it it's what it needs to be.
1: Well, that's good or bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if yeah. the, the next gen <laughs> excavator sucks, it's Ryan's fault. <laughs>
1: yeah. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Not. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, but it is, no, it is. It's cool, though. It's it's like you're I mean, you really are shaping a big part of Caterpillar.
1: Yeah. And it's just not me, obviously. Well, yeah. um, I mean, there's a lot of people out there, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm very er- involved early on because of my operator experience. And as far as tuning and controllability, you know, what features work and how does the cab work? And you know, is this, is this feature worth it? Is it not worth it? And then for me, I had the most control in, in the regional aspect in North America. You know, how do we configure our machines in North America? You know, I went along with one other guy, you know, we sit down and we look at the history of how many booms and sticks of this size machine were sold with this. And, you know, we, we look at things like that. And, you know, that's part of the things I help determine, but yeah, it, it's a rewarding job. And I mean, it can be stressful because not all the times do you hear the good stuff. Not very yeah. often do you hear the good things. It's, it's yep. you eat the phone calls or, or this doesn't work. And yeah, you know, you got to sort through it, but I learned something every single day covering all of the United States and Canada. It's a big territory. So you stay busy. There's no doubt about that.
0: I I was talking with one of the companies we work with the other day and and the kind of the the, the leader of the company called me and and he had really nice things to say. And I said, you know, Nick, usually these phone calls don't go this way. Usually it's everything we're doing wrong. Why are you calling me and telling me we're doing something right? This isn't how it works. Damn it. This is this is too this is too nice. I'm going to get used to this. Going to the problems, though, what what were the problems with the previous models That you were trying to address with this new model, what were you really focused on improving with these next gen excavators? Because I know, like it was a big leap, like it was E to F to next gen, right? Yep. And so was you know F to next gen a bigger leap than E to F was?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. E to F was basically just emissions. Yep. From Tier Four interim to Tier Four final, and it wasn't that there was anything wrong with F series, but you know we got you got to freshen up every now and then. You know, you think of pickup trucks when they take a giant facelift, you know, wow, this is a completely different truck, you know, and that's kind of what we did, and we're looking ahead, we're always looking at the future, and you're seeing the uptick of technology, and that was a huge part of it, you know, technology's been on dozers and motor graders, you know, GPS and, and grade control's been on there forever, and it's been a slower take rate on technology on excavators, but we see it coming, and, you know, as you were at Trimble Dimensions, the last one, and I don't know if you've been at the one before, but that is drastically different for excavators from the amount of machines that had technology on them to the last one, it was mind-blowing. Yep. And so we were at the right place at the right time. I think we made a great leap forward because the up-series were great machines. We sold a ton of them, but we needed to take a leap forward and a leap of faith with the technology. And, and you know, our next-gen hexaders are you know, they're loaded with with technology. So, so it's, it's, it's been really good.
0: That technology what I mean what what's exciting about it what's the specifics behind the technology that really make these machines different than well stupid machines without technology
1: so, remember I talked told you earlier about some of the things that, that one of the moments that I remembered that I really enjoyed being on the customer site was that aha moment yeah and I see it almost daily with these next general excavators because mm. like I said the the take rate, you know, you, you get a good excavator hand and a good laborer. That's one of the hardest things to beat. That combo, they don't even have to talk. Yep. The guy on the ground doesn't have to talk to the guy up in the cab. They work seamlessly. And it's a beautiful thing. And if you can aid that or make that better, that's great. But that combo doesn't happen that often anymore. You know, skilled labor is hard to find, and labor in general is hard to find. Yeah. So what tools can we give the customer? to help ease the pain of that. And, you know, I think we've done a great job with the next-gen excavators, with the technology on board. You know, you, you think of just simple 2D indicate only, no automatics. I want to dig down four foot because I was doing footing. I can type in the monitor, negative four foot. I put my bucket tooth down on wherever I want to bench from, a, a known elevation, and I bench. And the operator digs down. And it's up to them to determine whether they can listen to the sound or see the light bars. But you have full indication at all times as to where that bucket is and how close you are to your desired grade. And there's nobody with a grade rod. There's nobody with a laser in there, you know, in your way, you're not having to watch for people. And if that operator can watch that in his peripheral vision or listen to the tone and dig, you know, it makes it it makes it makes so much easier. You think of the small contractors, the, the one and two guys that are putting field tile in. And the guy's in and out of the hole, in and out of the hole, in and out of the hole all day long. Basement diggers, same thing and you can make their job easier, it, it's huge. And the feedback that we've gotten just from simple 2D indicator only is huge. And one of the things, my, I, I, I talk it up a lot because I believe in it a lot, and it, and it really works. When I think about my time running an excavator. The things you do with an excavator, they're like a Swiss Army knife. Yep. They're almost on every job site doing some sort of something, whether it's picking rebar off a semi to digging a trench to setting pipe to loading trucks to, you know, you know, you see it, you have tra- traveled all over the country. But I ask when I do sales training all the time, I ask what kind of what size excavators load trucks? And sometimes you get the guy, well, three forty nines or three fifty twos, three nineties. Yep. And then one guy will say, Well, three thirteens, no, three twenty fives. Like you're right, you guys are all right. All size excavators load trucks. It just depends on the application. Yeah. And when you load a truck, especially on a highway trucks, they go somewhere and you don't want to overload them. And if you overload them, you have the potential of getting fines, which depending on where you live. Those can be outrageous and they're expensive. So then you tend to underload them. Well, now you're putting five ton less on every truck. You know, you've got a 20 ton truck that's going out there and you're putting 15 ton on it. That five ton adds up a lot. That's extra trucks that have to go out that aren't necessary. So if you can maximize the amount of payload that goes on that truck to prevent it from overloading, but also prevent it from underloading, you know, it's winning. And when you tell... Guys, that they can't wrap their head around it. I'm like, just put 20 ton. If you don't have a truck there and you're doing training, just we'll just dig 20 ton. And we're gonna throw it on the ground. And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah. They take their first scoop and they see, oh, I've got 4.7 ton in this bucket. And they go and dump, it, and it looks like it went to a truck, and then it deducts it from your 20 ton. And they start seeing this, and then the, they get that ding, 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 that that light goes off, and they're like, holy Toledo! You think about what I can do. And then you start telling them, well, remember the days of your your load counter. You know, you're clicking the silver counter. Oh, that was a truck. That was a truck. That was a truck. And you get delirious after you've loaded 400 trucks. You're like, did I click the button or did I not click the button? I can't yeah, remember.
0: Yeah, something and, that simple. And yeah. so they,
1: well, they click it two times. Yep. But the, the system, the, it, it keeps track of all that. It keeps track of how many trucks you've loaded. When a truck's full, you click the button and it resets it. And then it, you know, at the end of the day, it tells you how many trucks you've loaded, how many tons per hour, how many tons per gallon, uh, total tons moved. You can put a density in and get volume moved there's just by the machine is keeping track of that for you and think how valuable that information is for large production sites. You know, we're very, plus or minus 3% is pretty accurate. And we we see better than that very often and we get that feedback.
0: Is it tough though? Like this, this industry is tough and I've talked to other people on the podcast too about this is we don't like change and we like to just do it as we've always done it. And that makes it great because we've resisted some of what I think are some ridiculous changes in society, but then it's bad because we're nowhere near where we should be overall as far as technology and, and, you know, diversity, you can just, the list goes on and on. Uh, Sure. So is it still, I mean, to me as a kid, I'm like, yeah, okay. Payload. Yeah. Okay. 2d, 3d, all that's no brainer. Uh, Yeah. E-fence like, okay, great. These are fantastic. I would use it all the time. If I'm a 53 year old guy that I, that's been doing it for 30 years, what, I mean, how do you do these guys always, I've just seen it a lot where, you know, Oh, great technology. And then they just turn it off and they just run the excavator yeah. as they have always have. Yeah. How do you get through to those guys? Because so, it does make their job better overall if they use it.
1: It does. And you know what we've learned right out of the gate, because you know, I'm an operator and part of the thing that, my input back to the product group was like, it's got to be simple to use. The operators, you know, we deal with people all walks of life, we're next graders, and it's got to be simple to use because if it's me, I don't want to hit seven buttons to make one feature work. I'm not going to use it. Yeah. So, one, we have to make it simple and easy. And two, we can't overwhelm the customer or the operator with all this in this machine because you sit down there and you tell them, well, it's got 2D grade, it's got potential grade with assist, and then it's got payload, then it has defense, and it has lift assist, and, you know, and then they go, their eyes go in the back of their head. Yeah. So typically what I like to do is i like, you know, what do you do with this X creator? And you listen to them and you try to take two of those things, if they apply to them, and try to implement it into what they do. And just say, you know, if you can get them to try it, they may just please you and say, yeah, I'll go ahead. And then as soon as you leave, they, they quit doing it. But very often we get the customers that are like, eh, I don't know. I don't, I don't need this technology stuff. One guy that we deal with often in the social media world, he calls it "devil's oil." I think you know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, I know
0: exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he loves to hate it, but he loves it. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: um, it you know, and it it makes your job easier. And you know, when we do projects out here at Edwards, you know, and I get to get back on the machine and we're pulling slopes, it's so nice to have the built-in technology there to give me the indicate. Not that I can't do it, but I can do it so much more efficiently and faster. And it's less stressful, you know, mentally, the f- mental fatigue of pulling strenuous grade all day long on a slope, because if you have pride in your work, you're going to want it to look really good. You're going to look like that GPS machine just went over it. Yep. And so when, when you take that pride in your work, you know, to me, I've always said this technology makes a great operator and an unbelievable operator. It, it, you know, if you understand how to read grade stakes and understand grade and you have a good eye already for doing this stuff and you can open up your brain to using technology, you're dangerous. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And those those are the kind of people that work all year round that, you know, they they stay busy and, you know, they're wanted. They're sought after people. I agree. It's a hurdle. But, you know, it's not meant for everybody. You got a guy that just pulls stumps all day long, and he just needs the power and he doesn't give a hoot about technology, that's no problem. We can turn it off. You don't have to use it. You can pull the sensors off the side of the machine if you want, put them in a box, when you're ready to trade the machine in, put it back on, you, you've got the resale. You know, It's not meant for everybody in every application, but there's many, many that are used that it, that it, it's very applicable to. And if they're willing to listen to you uh, many times, it pays off for them.
0: Yeah, you're not going to convince Mr. Let's Dig to put GPS on his excavator anytime soon.
1: Yeah, him. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, to tra- going to training, and, and this kind of ties into this, with all your years of teaching operators, and I know – training is is tough in this industry it doesn't really exist what advice do you have for people trying to train new operators what I mean how do you approach that what have you learned over the years that might be able to help these other companies train up younger folks to learn how to run an excavator or a dozer or whatever it may be
1: so there's two worlds you live in and I think it depends on kind of what application you're in And you know for me and and my son, my oldest son, just graduated high school, and yeah. he doesn't wasn't sure what he wants to do. He wants to go to be an electrician, be the electrical field. Cool. I'm super happy with that.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic.
1: Um, but, but one of his best friends, he wants to do something in the construction. Well, he doesn't always want to be a laborer or you know a finisher or you know he's not sure what he wants to do And I you know, and my advice before the whole training begins, you know, if you're a young man, young woman, and you want to do some sort of technology. Start on the bottom of the pole. You know, it, it, it start on the ground with the shovel. Yeah. I learned so much, and I was such a better operator because I knew what the guy in the seat needed. And it it truly makes that operator really understand what they need to do. And so if they have that mindset, then that helps. You know, these, these contractors that need to do training, get them out in the dirt first. Get them working. Get them with a the shovel. Understanding reading grade, what a grade stake is, you know, how cuts and fills work, whether you use ribbons, you know, today, most people are using GPS, get them involved with that early on. I mean, there's so many tools that are out there just in laboring that will help an operator. It's unbelievable. And then when they get him in there, I really, really, really appreciate the way Keaton Turner looks at his as young people wanting to come work from him. You know, he's willing to take a risk. They seem to have a really good track record so far and He's willing to let these young people with no experience go through this program, you know, and learn and to be patient with them. And, you know, they turn out to be really good operators and they'd be great hoe hands and truck, you know, whether haul truck guys or riding, driving excavator or running excavators, you just have to be willing to give them a try and mm-hmm. not everybody's going to make it it's not meant for everybody, but give them a try.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, if we can go to, I wanted to kind of, get into this fun topic. How do you see people misusing excavators? What are like, what's something you just see all the time? Like, God, that, that, that's just not the way to do it. Like what's, what are the stupid things people typically do with excavators that they shouldn't?
1: Well, you can't ever tell an operator they're doing something wrong. As an operator, you can't tell them that they're doing something wrong. Yes. Cause operators don't want to hear that. Right. Yeah.
0: They're very proud.
1: Um, yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. They like to complain and they're very proud. Yep. I understand it. I'm one of them, <laughs> Yeah. but You know, machines get abused, and what happens is it's the only machine on the job site, and when you need a hammer on the excavator, you don't have it. Well, what do they do? They start beating on it with the bottom of the bucket, Yep. and they cave the bucket in. And, you know, there's little things. Have the bucket. Put some dirt in it. If you you don't have a hammer there, and that's the only way to get it out, put some material in the bucket to beat on the concrete. It's going to absorb some of that, you know, and then it's not going to wear your pins out, or it's not going to cave the bottom of the bucket in, and that's one of them. Uh, two is just sure maintenance. You, you know, you see people that take pride in their machines. You see some machines around where these people have eight, nine, and ten thousand hours on excavators. They look brand new. It's because they have take pride in it. You know, yeah. And grease your pin. You know, just do your daily maintenance. It goes a long ways with keeping a machine looking healthy. Because you don't grease the pins, they get wallered out, and it's sloppy and it's hard to grade. And you know, it's, it's painful to watch. It's um, just simple stuff. It is simple stuff. You know, it's it's not rocket science and there are some phenomenal operators out there and I love listening to on Facebook and watching people take care of their cabs and keeping them clean. Even when it's, they're not their machine, it's their office, but they respect that that's a two and three and $400,000 machine they're sitting in. They don't own, but they take pride in keeping it clean and wiping the grease off of it after they grease it and not rubbing the counterweight in the material box or the material behind them. You know, it's, it, that goes a long ways with me. You know, you, you get people to do that. They earn my respect right out of the gate. It's, and, you know, you see people with bungee strapped hoods open and doors beat in. You're you're just like, dolly, that's a little scary.
0: There's there's two schools of thought. You know, some people think the counterweight is a is a grading tool itself.
1: <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> I've seen about every every form of it.
0: Oh yeah. What's what's the deal with not digging over your drives?
1: Uh, a couple things. Uh, one, the main, and I learned this before I even came to Caterpillar. You know. I used to like to watch the veteran guys and see what they're doing and follow their techniques. And I literally asked the the guy that had been running an for years when I started running, one, I'm like, why do you do that? And he's like, well, for me, it's two reasons. One, you have the drive sprockets on the back, which they're heavier than the idlers. Mm-hmm. And the more weight you have in the back of you, the better off you are. Two, you always know what direction you're going to go. Because if you're, idlers are in the front one way and then they're on the back the next round and you're constantly going back and forth to me it's a safety hazard mm-hmm. if you go push down the pedals oh, what way is it going you yep. know they're not paying attention so yep. one is safety and it better on the sprockets too you know if you don't have that constant force on the front of them when you're pulling on that trench box those idlers have a little cushion to them and, and it helps with that as well
0: imagine that i've always wondered
1: yep yeah it makes a big difference i mean you get whether it's two or three hundred pounds, that always helps in the back. You know, you want as much counterweight back there as you can when you're lifting big material boxes, or you got big buckets, big sand cans on it, like the boys up north do.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, some people they um, they like to push the limits of their machines. I, I'd say, you know, make the Caterpillar engineers probably cry at night with some of the stuff they do. True. Yeah,
1: yeah, I get a lot of pictures via social media. Look how big this bucket is I have on here. You know, I'm cringing, <laughs> thinking, don't tell me. I don't. I know nothing. La, 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 la. I don't see it. <laughs> but, you know, we know customers do whatever they have to do with the machines. And, you know, in the long run, if, if it's working for them and they're getting the job done and, you know, they're not breaking the machine, then, you know, they got to do what they got to do. We have our recommendations, and it's not always you know, followed by customers. But, again, they buy the machine, you know, they're going to pay to fix them. And if it works for them and that suits what they need to do, then they're going to do it anyway. So I just closed my eyes.
0: You know, but, the, the, this industry is full of people that don't like to be told what to do. So I found they, they they do stuff out of spite or, or it's like, you know, your parent tells you not to do something. You just want to run in the opposite direction. Like, Oh really? I can't put such yep. a big bucket on. Okay. Well, Mr. Caterpillar, yeah. we'll see about that.
1: <laughs> yep. Don't touch that. It's hot. Don't <laughs> touch it. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, what's, what's exciting to you about the new 395? Because that was the oh gosh that was Caterpillars I would say their star of the show and they had the D seven and there was some other exciting stuff but the three ninety five that was a pretty machine sitting there well what's exciting about it because you've probably spent more time on it than just about anyone in the world at this point
1: yeah in fact I was on it all day yesterday hey Um, yeah it's uh, I'm excited about it I can't wait for them to come out you know all the machines have taken a drastic change but this has been one of the biggest as far as it's replacing another machine. So it's replacing the 390F, which has been a good machine, and you've been around a long time. But again, we got to get better, and we got to get bigger. we got to get faster, and that's the goal for production machines. How can we get that customer to move more dirt every day or move more rock every day or whatever they're doing? And so we took a giant leap forward with the 395. It's a heavier machine. It's got more structure to it. The front structures are beefier from the stick to the boom all the way down into the car body, into the frame. There's more steel put into it, bigger counterweight. We're allowing for bigger buckets on it. We've got the technology built into it, the new cab. And one of the best things that we've done in our next gen excavators, 100% different cab, from visibility to the width of the seat, to the 10-inch touchscreen pad, to getting all those controls from behind the operator's elbow, which is not fun to get to, when you want to turn the radio down or air conditioning down. We moved all that from the operator's elbow forward. More storage. And then we changed the layout on the 395, which is drastically different from any of the other excavators and drastically different from the 390F. So we've made it so safety in mind, the operator, you don't want them to have to climb up on the opposite side of the cab to get up and check the oil and do their daily maintenance check and then climb back down and get back up on the machine on the cab side and get in. Because these things, honestly, you know, they don't sit in pillow factories. They're not on pretty sandy beaches. Yep. They're sitting and in, in it's dark and it's frozen and it's, cold or you know whatever the scenario is if you don't make it easy for them to go check a lot of times they're not going to go do those daily maintenance checks that quite frankly need to happen so we've moved everything to the cab side for the operator to get into and for the, the simple mechanic to change the filters it's all from one side which is huge you know it, it's a safety factor and it went over really well con expo and the people that have been on the machine already they're very excited about that that's a big thing you know these are big machines And you don't want anybody falling off of them. And I go on and on and on about what we've done to this thing. It's going to be exciting. If they can't come out soon enough, I'm pretty excited about that. But you know, we'll let the everything else fall in place, and then we'll start building them.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see them finally out there.
1: Yeah, me too. It's a good looking machine. I'm, I enjoy getting in it. It doesn't feel like a the one I have. I shouldn't say I have the marketing machine we have here. It's a. It's almost two hundred eight thousand pounds, and it does not feel like that. It's a big machine, yeah. So
0: But it moves quick. We're excited huh? to yeah.
1: yeah. it feels quick. We're we're excited to get out in customers' hands.
0: Well, um, you know, hopefully I, I um it's funny, I maybe two years ago I, I saw or no, man, it was three years ago, the original twenty seventeen con Expo. I saw there was a three ninety F there and I made a post yep. about it, you know, maybe two months into BuildWit, maybe a month into BuildWit, and I said I'm gonna have one of these one day. Like I don't, I don't dream about a Lamborghini or any you know fancy car. I dream about having my own damn 390. And I've I've come to realize it's just a little too big for my needs. So now now the goal is a 374, which I think is much more reasonable than a 390. But mark my words, we'll we'll I'll have one in my in my yard one day.
1: That'll be fantastic. And you know the new ones, it's very similar to the 395 same system.
0: Yeah, hopefully uh, I can get one four. of the new ones. Yeah, I don't want to use. Well, one yeah. I want brand new.
1: Well, we'll make sure you can do that. Well, I know a guy. Without the stickers. People get you lined up. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'll put my own damn stickers on it. That's right. Well, uh, I know you got a lot going on, so we'll uh, we'll wrap things up here. Is there anything else you want to say about excavators before we're, we're all set?
1: No. Uh, you know, they're fun. You know, like I said, they're, they're used for so many different applications, and it's an exciting world to be in, you know, not just caterpillar but all you know a lot of the other manufacturers it's a big market and there's a lot of competitors out there that they're used for so many different things so it's a lot of fun to watch the competitors get better that's one of the best things about going to trade shows is meeting and talking with our competitors because you end up getting to know these guys and you know you don't want to go be the sneaky guy over there opening up doors you know we're friendly and they're friendly you go talk to your you know and it's exciting to see everybody change because it's you know when Hitachi Deer and Volvo get better, then we got to get better. And you know, it's just it's a fun race to be in, and you know it's a lot of fun. And you guys do so so many of you on social media do a great job of posting great pictures of, of whatever brand it is, but making this industry fun again. And so you know I appreciate everything you do with all of your <laughs> different forms of media, whether it's LinkedIn or your build with sites or any one of your other uh, Instagram accounts. Uh, it's fun to watch and. I greatly appreciate what you do. I, you know, I respect our friendship, and I think it it'll go on for a long time. I am sure.
0: Well, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I, um, you know, you are my uh, number one resource of excavator information. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to talk about without you. I need, I need, oh, I need the facts, Ryan. I need all the facts, well, and I need the inside scoop. I'll give you. I'll give you as many as I can. Yeah, no, I, I know. I'm, I don't. I'm not under NDA. So, um, <laughs> all right. Well, I really, really appreciate you chatting about excavators with us and yep, no uh that's, problem. I that, appreciate seemed, it. that seemed pretty kosher so i don't know if the lawyers will have any any issues with that conversation i kept it very um i i kept it very very uh clean i feel like
1: you did it's not your first day of dealing with a corporate representative yeah <laughs> man. i appreciate that
0: if only we could have had a real conversation about oh uh, you know hey which machine's better
1: that's uh, that's maybe on a different site and not over the phone. Just yeah.
0: One. No, that's behind <laughs> behind closed doors. <laughs> All right, right, man. Well I'll let you uh I'll let you get back to it. And yeah, again, I I really appreciate you hanging out with us.
1: Absolutely, sir. You take care and uh have a good day and we'll see you hopefully sooner than later.
0: That's what I hope. But you know, these days, who knows?
1: Yeah, I know. Stay safe down there in your new neck of the woods.
0: Yeah, you'll have to come visit.
1: I will. Hop, skip and a jump.
0: All right, Ryan. I'll catch you later.
1: All right, Aaron. Take care, sir.